Thanks. Thank you, Rob, for that uh, interesting introduction. The text today is on pride. So <laughs> and that's not the way I remember it going down, okay? So uh, I'll let you draw your own conclusions on that. Rob's series on Genesis, I have appreciated the insights that God has given him as he shared from God's word. What a tremendous blessing it is to hear God speak through your son. And uh, I, I couldn't be happier or more privileged uh, to see what God is doing in his life. And he entitled the series, Unglued. Humanism Unglued is what I've entitled this morning's sermon. And really, this is a case study in the whole concept of humanism. Now, what is humanism? Humanism is basically an elevation of man and a devaluation of God. It is man coming and saying, I know better, I can do better, because they wonder if God even exists. What we see in the text that we look into this morning in Genesis chapter 11 is a story of people who overestimate themselves and underestimate God. You know, one of my guilty pleasures is watching fails on YouTube. Usually what you see is somebody who attempts greatness. And in that attempt, what they do is they sort of overestimate their abilities and dramatically underestimate some of the basic laws of physics, like gravity and inertia. And as a result, crash, bang, boom, they fail miserably. Often what follows are stitches or casts, certainly a lot of shame. And you know, as I looked at that and I wondered, what in the world were they thinking? That's what I come to as I come to Genesis chapter 11. Because in Genesis chapter 11, we see that man dramatically overestimates himself and underestimates God. You see, they make an attempt to lift themselves up while at the same time disregard who God is and what he has said. Let's look at the text and get some insight into this story. We begin with the first verse of the 11th chapter, and in verses 1 and 2, what we find is this. Pride leads people to rebel against God. And really what we see is they pursue lives that, that exclude God because look at these verses. The whole earth had one language, and the same words. Now, when we look at this, we say, wow, that's a good thing. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we all spoke the same language? Wouldn't it be wonderful if culturally we had complete understanding of one another? This was something that was going on in early Genesis, and what we find is it wasn't a good thing. Because rather than uniting around God, they were uniting around themselves and an overinflated image of themselves. And as a result, there was a total disconnect and disregard for God. You see, in Genesis chapter 9, God had told the people of the earth that they were to spread out, that they were to populate the earth. So here they are, and God's intent was, as you spread, we will see the earth fill. And it was to be to God's glory and God's honor. But what did man do? He gathers together with this one language in these same words. And notice what it says in the second verse. 
And as the people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. What's going on? Man decides we know better than God. While God has told us to go and populate the earth, to spread out, we're going to settle right here. We're going to stay in this false unity that elevates man and devalues God. We're going to do our own thing. No longer listening to the rules of God. Really, this is, at its core, humanism. It is man saying, I can do better. I know better than what God has called me to do. You know, there's something called the Humanist Manifesto. And there are a couple of statements in there that really, even today, describe the attitude of the people in Genesis. And listen to what these words say in the Humanist Manifesto. No deity will save us. We must save ourselves. We are responsible for what we are and for what we do. God is excluded. Man is elevated. And as a result, they move further and further away from God. What we see in this plain of Shinar is a classic fail. As a matter of fact, we're going to see that it's a towering fail. It is a monument to man that they seek to build and they reject the God who is, the God of revelation, the God that they should come under the authority of, and they become an authority in and of themselves, disregarding God in every way possible. But look at what else we find as we look at this text. They're settling in. You know, as I look at this, I think of how easy it is for us as people to settle into a place that God doesn't intend. We look at ourselves and we say, I know better. I can do better. God didn't really mean this. He can't be serious about what he's saying. I'm going to do my own thing. And we settle in. We choose to do what we want to do rather than what God has commanded us to do. And as a result, we move further and further away from God. For the people of Genesis chapter 11, they were settling in to this plain of Shinar rather than following the commands of God. And as a result, they were disregarding God profoundly. And you know, as I think about that, I find myself very often doing the same thing. I have clear direction from God and his word. And rather than listening to the word of God, I'll disregard it. I'll go on automatic pilot. I'll do what I want to do. I'll settle in to a way of thinking or a way of behaving that has nothing to do with what God says or what God calls me to do. It's a trap that we can all fall into if we're not careful. And that's why we see here in Genesis this passage recorded for us so that we can avoid the pitfalls of what happened to these people on the plain of Shinar. But the text doesn't stop there. Look at what we find as we come to the third verse and notice what the scripture says. The scripture goes on to say, and they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the heavens. What we find brought out in this text very clearly is this. Man presumes when he is ruled by pride to set the terms for how he comes to God. 
Look at what they do again. They come to this place. They're settling in, and there's to be permanence in settling into this place. Rather than obeying God and spreading and filling the earth, we're going to build a city and a tower. And notice how that tower is to be constructed. They would bake bricks. Now, many Bible teachers believe that in the baking of the bricks, they were emphasizing the work of man. What they were saying is, we're not going to even take stones from the earth. We're going to make our own, and it's going to be a place of permanence. We're going to take these bricks that we make ourselves, and we're going to erect a city to us and a tower in honor of us. We're doing this for ourselves. God is absent from the picture totally disregarded. They are coming to this place to say man is the measure of all things. They're forgetting God. Look at what else it says. It says that they were going to put these bricks together with bitumen. Now bitumen, as you know, is really kind of a tar-like substance. It's called in some of your Bible translations pitch. What did Noah use to build the ark? to keep it watertight, pitch, bitumen. So here's the idea. God had destroyed the earth during the time of Noah. And God had made a covenant with Noah that he would never destroy the earth in that way again. And yet, here's man with his own insurance policy. Just in case that flood ever comes again, we're using pitch to put over all of the bricks so that we can ascend the tower and get away from the flood if God ever does that again. It was really man looking at God and saying, God, we're going to do things our way. We're going to disregard you. We are not going to follow your instructions. You know, a couple of years ago, Rob and Katie went to a marriage retreat, a camp of sorts, and we watched the grandkids, Paula and I. We had a blast watching the grandkids, but we said, you know what, our grandkids need a swing set. So we went to Toys R Us and found the swing set that we thought would be appropriate and loaded it in the SUV and brought home two boxes with enough material to build a small house. And as I opened up those boxes and laid out all of the parts, there was a thick magazine of an instruction manual that was in there. And I looked at that and I just said, oh boy. You know what? I don't need any stinking instructions. (laughs) I can do this myself. Complicating the factor was this. I have two grandsons. They wanted to help And so here they are taking pieces and parts and distributing them out of order. And I started to lose my sanctification. (laughs) So I said, Paula, unless I lose it all together, would you please take the kids to the park and let me do this? So I start laboring away to build this swing set. And you know what I discover? that you can't do step six unless you've done steps one through five right. So I disassemble, reassemble, and follow the instructions religiously. And you know, there's a lot 
in life like that. You have to follow the instructions to succeed. And God has given us a set of instructions, the Word of God, the eternal Word of God. And how easy is it for us to disregard what God has said? We settle in to places that we shouldn't settle by disregarding the instruction that God has given us, and as a result, we miss the mark. These people were coming together to build this city, this tower. They were coming together to bake bricks, to put them together with bitumen. And it was all in honor of man because they were saying, let us build ourselves. Now look at this, a city and a, and a tower with its top in the heavens. Do you catch that? The tower that they were to build was a tower that would make it all the way to heaven. In other words, we're not going to come to God by faith. We're going to come to God by the work of our hands. We will ascend to God in our way. That's the picture that we find here on this plain of Shinar. They weren't ready to come God's way only insisting on coming in theirs. And you know, when I look at this, I see a lot of people who approach God in that way today. We look and we form images of who God is and what he wants on our own apart from his instructions. And as a result, we miss the mark. We fail. We don't come to God. We don't reach him because we cannot reach him by the works of our hands or the things that we do. So here is a lesson for us that we not approach God in that same way. We must approach God His way, humbling ourselves rather than setting terms in our pride. But then there's something else that we find in this fourth verse. You see, after it talks about building ourselves a city, a monument to man, it goes on in the last part of that fourth verse, and it says this, let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. What we find here is this, man was doing this for the praise of his own glory, and he was totally disregarding God's. The building of this tower in Babel was a monument to man. It was so that people would go by and see what man had done and say, wow, Look at what they've accomplished. They're wonderful. How easy is it for us to look to our own glory and to forget about God's? What we find in this instance is man electing to go his own rebellious, independent way, forgetting the glory of God and forging ahead in their own strength, their own plan, their own purpose, totally apart from God. So what the scripture tells us in this fourth verse is they were doing it in direct disobedience because look at the last part of that fourth verse. Let us make for ourselves the city lest we be dispersed over the whole earth. Chapter 9 of Genesis, go and populate the earth, disperse. Chapter 11 in Genesis, never mind what God has said, we're going to settle in here, we're going to stay. We don't want to be dispersed. 
We will rebel against what God has called us to do. And it's for our glory. We're going to make a name for ourselves. We want people to look at me. I'm going to rewrite the song, How Great I Art. That's the whole purpose of what they're doing. That's the whole plan. Man had slipped already from what God had called him to do. You know, there's a verse in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul talks about this same attitude in the heart of man. It's a passage from Romans chapter 1. And listen to what Paul writes. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resulting or resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Here's what man did. He disregards the creator and he elevates the created. And that's what was going on here on this plain of Shinar. Disregarding God. Forgetting his glory. Replacing it with his own. You know, we look at this text and we wonder, how could man slip so fast after the flood, just a few generations after God had done a reboot of humanity with Noah and his family, how in the world could they disregard God so quickly? But you know, as we look at our own lives, isn't it easy to fall into that trap of disregarding God? Isn't it easy to forget that We're under his authority, that he is God and that I am not and that I need to follow what he has said and that I need to live life in such a way that it honors him and glorifies him and pleases him. It's so easy for us as human beings to lose perspective, to elevate ourselves and devalue God. But even in spite of us doing that, even with us leading rebellious lives against God, God still loves us. Because what we find as this text continues is this. The power of God overcomes man's sin. Look at the fifth verse and notice what this passage describes. Here is man building this tower so that it will reach the heavens. And look at the first words of that fifth verse. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. We're going to build a tower that reaches all the way to heaven. Not quite. You see, when God comes down to visit them, he comes down. They didn't reach God. God descended to man, not man ascending to God. And that's an important concept for us to grasp. None of us can ever come to the place to where we ascend to God. And it fails every time it's tried. Look at the garden. Remember the garden of knowledge, the the tree of knowledge of good and evil that was in the garden that man was commanded not to partake of. What did man do? I want to become like God. I will eat of this tree of knowledge of good and evil and I will become like God. God cannot in any way be attained by the works and the efforts of man. So what God does is he puts man, sinful man, in his place. And that's what we find as we come to this fifth verse. He descends, and and then look at the sixth verse. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will be impossible for them. You know what we find in this text? God is going to put a stop to man's plan. 
He's going to stop them from harming themselves. You know, there's a Western Asian parable about a gourd and a palm tree. We have this towering palm tree that's 100 years old. And this gourd springs up and the vine goes up the palm tree and it reaches the very top of the palm tree in just a few days. So the gourd gets pretty full of itself and it says to the palm tree, how old are you? Palm tree says 100 years. The gourd says, just a few days. I'm as tall as you are. You know what the palm tree responded? Yeah, you know, every year there's a gourd that grows up and says the same thing. <laughs> How easy it is for us to get full of ourselves, to think that we have arrived, to think that we are in a place of such power and prominence, that we are worthy of glory, and we're just like that gourd. We forget that God is eternal, that God has the power and the majesty that we need to come under his authority, that any strength that we have is a strength that wraps around God, not something that we have on our own. Here in this text, man was missing the mark. He was forgetting who God was. He was coming to the place to where he said, with this one language, we can accomplish great things, but God puts a stop to it because that sixth verse is essential. God says, let us go down and frustrate their plans. Now, when we look at this text, this is an opportunity for some real misunderstanding. You see, what we find in this text is that God comes down to look at the people, to stop them from what they're doing, and he does it in protection for them. When it says here that man, there's no telling what he will do if he persists in this plan. Some have looked at that and thought, well, God must feel threatened that man will become too great, but that's not what's going on at all. You see, what's being expressed there is this. If man is moving down the path away from God this quickly, and he's doing this right now, if we don't stop what they're doing and cut it off, there's no telling where man will go from here. You know, something I've noticed as my hair gets grayer and thinner, you know what I notice? Stuff that I looked at when I was a kid and said, man, this is never going to happen. Never have to worry about that being a part of our world. Well, guess what? It's commonplace. It has changed dramatically. When man departs from God, when man doesn't follow God, the course that we follow takes us in places that we can't even imagine. Really, what we find in this text is God, by His grace, stopping man from going down that path of darkness away from him because of His great love. God's grace is operative as He frustrates the plans of man. And that brings us to the next part of this text. When we come to verses 7 through 9, we find that God often protects us from ourselves. Look at verse 7. In verse 7, it says, Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. Now, when we look at this, we wonder why is God confusing language? Why is God dividing them? Why is God doing this? There are times when we have things all planned out, right? I've got this all figured out. This is the direction that I'm going to go. And then, boom, 
right in the middle of it, God throws a monkey wrench to where we can't accomplish our purpose and our plan and we're wondering what gives. Why did you do that, God? I had it all figured out and now you're pulling the rug right out from under me. I can't do what I planned to do. And we wonder why. Did you ever think that God was protecting you from you? Sometimes the plans that we have, we see only in the immediate. We see only in the short term. There is an all-wise God who stops us from doing the things that we plan for his purposes that are far higher, far greater, far better than anything that we could imagine. This is what God was doing on the plain of Shinar. He was stopping them. They were dead set on following their course, but God said, no, I'm going to stop you. I'm not going to allow you to move in that direction that takes you away from me into deeper darkness. You know, there's the story of a captain, brand spanking new captain, just commissioned, and he's over a destroyer. So there he is in this destroyer, and he's really feeling his power. And he's out on the ocean in a storm, and he looks off in the distance, and he sees a light. So he sends a signal, change your course 10 degrees. Well, this little light off in the distance sends a message back. No, you change your course 10 degrees. And he says, what? Send them a message. Tell them to change their course 10 degrees. I'm the captain. Well, they send back a message. Change your course 10 degrees. We're a lighthouse. We get set on our own path. We decide this is the direction I will go. This is how I will pursue my plans, my purpose, and we don't even know what's out there. God is telling the people here in this plain of Shinar as they are seeking to build this tower, stop. Stop pursuing your purpose, your plan, and I will stop you. I will protect you from yourselves. Look at verse 9. Therefore its name was called Babel because the Lord confused their language, the language of the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them all over the face of the earth. Now this is significant. Do you know where the plain of Shinar is? plain of Shinar is where Babylon, the empire, would find its epicenter. The plain of Shinar is where current Iraq and Iran border one another. The plain of Shinar was the place where Babylon would develop, not related in name. You see, Babel means confusion. We find that right here in this text. Babylon, guess what it means? Gateway to God, gateway to the heavens. They had their own mystery religions that they said would bring them to the place of having a relationship with deities. And this thought process that man can reach God can be traced throughout the Old Testament as Babylon was a factor in so many of the apostate beliefs that entered into Israel. But we also find it even in the book of Revelation. Isn't it interesting that this epicenter we find in Old Testament and even yet future to us in the book of Revelation? because there's a Babylon that's mentioned in Revelation, which is a Babylon that becomes a one-world religion, 
and a one world power. Isn't it interesting that Genesis talks about the Babylon being one nation, one people, one language? And that is the goal of Babylon that we find in the book of Revelation, and all of it is man devaluing God, elevating himself. But here's the startling part of this passage. You see, what we find in this passage is not only man coming to the place to where God had to stop him to save him from himself, but we also find this, God provides for man's sin through the Savior. You see, in verses 10 through 26, we find once again the lineage of the people of Shem. Rob had shared in his excellent message last week about the various descendants of the various sons of Noah. And I find it intriguing that he mentions Shem in the 10th chapter, but then he revisits it here in the 11th chapter. He sandwiches the story of the Tower of Babel in between it. And I think there's a purpose in that. You see, while God is visiting judgment on the people on the plain of Shinar, he has a plan that is in the works that will bring their ultimate salvation. Because it is through Shem that we come to verse 26, which mentions Terah and ultimately Abraham, also known as Abram. And here's why it's significant. Abraham is the one through whom the Messiah would come. It's such an important point, I think, that Moses is making in the structure of this passage. That even with man's sin and rebellion and refusal to do the things of God, here we find God intervening and providing a way, a path of salvation that will ultimately come through the Lord Jesus Christ. In man's pride, there's no way that man will ever turn to God and receive what God freely gives. In fact, Peter shares in his letter in the fifth chapter, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I would submit to you that the only way that we come to God and receive his grace is by setting aside our pride and the insistence that I earn my way to God. And we come to the place to where we say, I'm helpless, I'm hopeless, and I need God. God came down to man. There at the Tower of Babel, but in a more profound way, he came down to man when he took on human flesh and became the God-man, Jesus Christ. And he lived among us, and he died at the hands of sinful men. And he provided for us salvation, forgiveness, a relationship with the Father. I would encourage you this morning, if you have been trying to reach God in your own way, following your own path, go to the instructions. Find what God has said in his word about how you know that you have forgiveness and a relationship with him. God has made a way for you to find him, to know him, to experience forgiveness, to experience eternal life. If you turn from your sin to God and if you receive what God has freely given in the gospel, you can have that relationship with God that you long for, 
God created us to know him. But man sinned and stepped away from God. But even in man's departure from God, God opens the way for us to know him. And he came down to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Receive that gift of eternal life and forgiveness in him. Christians, if you have trusted Christ, let me encourage you this morning. Don't settle in. Don't find that path that isn't a part of what God has for you and go your own independent way. Understand that God's instruction manual means what it says and says what it means. Respond to it. Obey it. Follow it. God writes it as the creator for his created. Do not overestimate yourselves. Do not underestimate God. Let us pray. Father, thank you.